Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open the hearts of every one of us, especially me, to hear the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done and accomplished for us. May we remember afresh or hear for the first time even the good news of our salvation in him. And it's in his name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever kind of been going about your life getting what you want, maybe, chalking it up to God's favor in your life, accumulating or stacking up those goals maybe week by week only to have it all fall apart. We'll pick up our story with Jacob, who was once again left alone, and that's been his experience. Now, you saw printed on the screen that same night, Jacob arose. Um, a little bit misleading for us because it's been 20 years since last Sunday. That's not a joke about 2021. Um, that's Genesis uh, the, the progression of the story. So he's, he was on his way away uh, from the promised land last week, and he has that amazing encounter, right, the vision uh, that heaven and earth have this connection and God is at work and the angels are going up and down. And Jacob, hearing of God's commitment to him, commits his life to God. seems like things are finally headed on the right track. And as you read the story, these intervening chapters, you start to hear echoes of the story of Abraham and Isaac. There's a well and flocks and a pretty woman, and Jacob falls in love. He meets her family, and it's part of his wider clan, and they approve of him, and this just seems fantastic, right? It's working out just like it always does. God must be doing what God did before the same way, and Jacob seems to be winning at life. And then he comes into some struggles, and I imagine he probably counts that as people opposing God. You know, if they're opposed to him, they must be opposing God too. And there's some back and forth. And we begin to realize that as these events play out, Jacob is kind of exactly the same as he was before. After his encounter, uh, or, the, or the vision, the divine vision, Jacob isn't completely transformed. He's continuing to pursue what it is that he has in his heart, what it is that he's after, and he's doing it on his own strength. Jacob isn't really seeking God, and if you read these chapters, you will come to discover God is barely mentioned on the pages. Not because Moses, of course, <laughs> had forgotten, but because it seems that Jacob has. Well, to 
it doesn't go the way he planned with the woman he met at the well. Uh, he works seven years for the right to marry her, and then his future father-in-law tricks him into marrying the wrong sister, and then he pledges to work seven more years for the right to marry the woman he actually wanted. Um, and it says, in the seven years were but like a few days because of his love for her. And it's very sweet. Except now he's got two wives and no money. And, and there's more conflict at home. And, and then the wife he loves can't have children. And the wife he doesn't love keeps having babies. And then the, the, there's servants involved and they have babies. And it's just a mess. And what he really wants is to go back to the promised land and reunite with his family, but he can't go back empty-handed. And he thinks, well, you know, God made my ancestors rich. Maybe he'll make me rich. And so he continues scheming his way into money at the expense of alienating the family that had blessed him on his arrival. In any case, finally, 20 years later, he sets back out for Canaan. And he gets word that his brother Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. Jacob probably is doing what we all tend to do. We tend to think other people are just like us. They think just like us. And so he's thinking, well, if I were Esau, 400 men, I'm probably out for blood. Remember that the last time we heard from Esau, he had said, when my father dies, I will kill my brother. So this is probably a, not an unfair assumption. And Jacob is now really desperate. And still, there is no mention of a cry for help. Well, he sends droves of livestock ahead of him in waves, hoping to appease Esau. He sends uh, the two sets of wives and children ahead. It's unclear if he's trying to like, get them out of harm's way, or if he's like, maybe they're like backup gifts, like if the sheep don't work out, maybe Esau will accept the women and children. It's a little weird. <clears throat> and then, then it says that same night, so the night he has sent everybody away, he arose. I sends the two wives, the children, and now he is left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. That has never happened to me. I've been in some strange situations. I've been in some scrapes and some trials. Never has a, you know, a divine something from heaven, come down and wrestled with me till the break of day. It's a strange story. <clears throat> but what it does in this narrative is get us to the, the changing of Jacob's name. What has defined him till now is that he is the, the heel grasper, the cunning one trying to get ahead in life by cheating. And the messenger instead says, you will now be called Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. And it's easy to kind of think, well, that must mean the name Israel means like 
wrestled with God or striven with God. And it's easy to think that now his fortunes will change because he has beaten God in a wrestling match. I'm here to tell you that if you want to get ahead in God's kingdom, winning a wrestling match is, is not going to do it. This is not the key to getting ahead. In fact, the name Israel doesn't mean he strives with God. The name puts God's activity as the subject. It means God struggles with, or God wrestles. See, as, as John Goldengate points out in the commentary I read this week, Jacob doesn't start this bizarre fight. Jacob is there all by himself, sort of minding his business, when this man comes upon him and wrestles him. Because God isn't giving up on Jacob, who for decades has done more or less the opposite of what God wanted him to do. All God is trying to do is what he promised all along. And Jacob keeps taking things into his own hands and thinking this whole thing depends on him. That if he's going to be happy, he's got to do it on his own. Jacob is the striving one. But the name here is going to define Israel's life. Israel will keep trying to do things their own way, and God will keep trying to wrestle them back into the covenant over and over again. Because he is the one who wants to strive on their behalf. Jacob's been wrestling with God and not even realized it. But not because he's by choice opposing God, but it's because God, by his own love, is trying to get Jacob back. What God earnestly desires is that Jacob would submit, that Jacob would yield not just in the wrestling match, but with his life, in the life of his family, so that God could accomplish what he promised. He desperately wants Jacob to let God be at the center of this narrative, the way that it had been for Abraham. Instead, Jacob keeps going about his business as though he is at the center of the universe. So he is the main character. But this moment captures for us the way God wants to get Jacob's attention. And I think he wants our attention too. God, in fact, loves Jacob enough to put that hip out of joint. To, to make sure he knows that he has got to submit. Now, it doesn't mean all suffering and pain is God's way of showing his love for us. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. But it does tell us in this moment, God was willing to give Jacob a permanent reminder, a permanent painful reminder, that God is not going to give him up. And so now Jacob goes on to live happily ever after, right? Well, let's see. God has indeed done a miracle in Esau. 
So Jacob doesn't know it. Jacob's there wrestling with God, I guess thinking that if he can beat this figure, maybe he can get this blessing. But we know that's not how it works. Indeed, though, God has done a miracle. Jacob gets up the next morning, and he, he continues on the road. He, he dives into the dust and the dirt seven times, prostrating himself on the way to meet his brother. Esau, it says, runs to meet him. He wraps his arms around him. It falls on his neck, is the Hebrew, rejoicing in the return of his brother and delighting to meet his new family, his nieces and nephews. We continue the story and especially on into the lives of his children, it turns out Jacob still isn't an all-star dad. And yet, nonetheless, even with this unworthy patriarch, God accomplishes what he sets out to do. When Jacob can't, when Jacob can't even receive the free gift of grace, perfectly. God doesn't give up on him, and he doesn't give up on us either. Even when we get our lives so warped, and we put ourselves back at the center, and we put God on the margins, when we even are so brazen as to ascribe our own desires to God's heart, when we count what we want as God's blessing, God does not give up on us. God will wrestle us to get us back so that we remember again the good news of grace. I ask you, how would you narrate your story? If I asked you, tell me the story of your life, or just, hey, like, what's the latest episode? You know, if we had, you know, Jim flicks or Michelle flicks, and it was just your story, episode by episode, how would you narrate that? Who's at the center? Who's the main character? I have to tell you this week, as I read this story, I'm thinking, well, I know who I'm supposed to say is the main character. You know, I know the answer, to th I know the right answer to that question, and I also know the truth. But it is so easy, assailed by the cares and concerns of the world, by having to navigate the challenges of life that seem to stand in our way of getting what we want, that we start to think of ourselves as the main character. I would ask you, how do you measure whether your life is on track? How can you tell if those episodes are progressing, you know, towards a good resolution? Jacob was measuring his life by, was he getting what he wanted? Was he getting the family he wanted? Was he accumulating the wealth and the power that he wanted, just like his grandfather and father? Are we possibly making some bad assumptions 
about our lives, confusing what we want with what God wants, confusing our striving for God's blessing. Jesus is meant to be the main character. I don't think I said that before. Jesus is meant to be the main character. And we see in John's Gospel, yet again, uh, Andrew and I think Andrew and Philip both announced to others, we've found the Messiah. But who really found who? Jesus, we know, picked those 12 men. He went to where they were, and he found them. The Messiah found Andrew. The Messiah found Philip. The Messiah found Simon and the others. And Jesus gives Simon this new name. What he does not say is, I call you Peter because you are such a great rock, and your rockiness is going to be the key to the church. He says, I'm going to call you the rock, the Petros, because I'm going to build my church on top of you. Peter is not the hero. Sam is not the hero. Jesus, at the center, is the hero. And what we have got to wrap our brains around, I think week by week, and I think this is one of the main points of worship, is to reinforce not just that Jesus is that main character for us, but that our lives are measured by the way God is fulfilling the promises he's made in them. God has not promised me success by worldly measures. He's not promised me that my car will be maintenance-free. He's not promised me uh, that work will be easy. What he's promised is to bless the nations through his children. What he has promised is himself and the Holy Spirit. He's promised fruit of the Spirit working in my life. and in your lives. That third question, where might we be making some bad assumptions? I don't have a stock answer for that. That's not a, you know, Jesus is the answer kind of situation. But I can give you some suggestions. If you think it's possible that you're prone to the same mistakes that Jacob was prone to, ask yourself where you feel God wrestling with you. Where might he be inflicting some pain to get your attention? To show us where we have thought we were doing one thing and he has something else entirely in mind. Because what he's after is not your success, What he's after is not you being so good at being you that you change the world. What he's after is for you and me to yield our lives to him. To be a part of the covenant that does not depend on you and me. The covenant that depends on God and his grace. I'm going to pray that God would show us those things now. I mean, now is as good a time as any. So we'll pray now.
And I'll invite you to consider in silence uh, for a moment. And then you can repent right here. Just ask God to change your heart right here before we continue in worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, maybe the most surprising thing is that you do not ever give up. That you would pursue even someone like me. So I pray now that as, you, as your spirit is present with us, he would speak into our hearts to show us where you desire us to yield, that you may bring our lives back into alignment with your purposes. Help us to see what it is you truly do have in store for us.